when I was gr- growing up, you know, there's no friends like when you're a little kid. Remember? Yeah, just the memories. Uh, my best friends, uh, Gerald, Earl, and myself, we were the everything from the three Stooges to the three Desperados, the three Amigos. We were, we were, we were musketeers. We were there all the time with each other from the time I was 6 to 10, 11 and we, we did everything together we, we rode bikes we played sandlot baseball we played street hockey we went to school together we, we did everything uh, together uh, we were in clubs together in Chicago uh, little vandal kids uh, foul mouth uh, pretty depraved little kids we were also very fast we could run all of us, you know, so so whenever you had the competitions at school, we were always, it was Gerald Earl or myself, we were right in there. We would go to Awana together every, I don't know what night it was, I think it was a Friday night, um, just like they have Awana today here, they had it back when I was a little kid, believe it or not, and if you're not familiar with Awana, it's like a Christian Boy Scouts kind of thing, and the first half of it was was, was games, and, and, and that's why we went. I mean, they had a part where you're supposed to memorize verses. We never memorized any verses. There's a part where you're supposed to go listen to a Bible thing. We were in there because you had to be in there if you wanted to play the games, but we didn't pay any attention. We were there for the, for the games, for the races. That was fun. Um, one night, though, the guy was speaking. We were in there at the Bible time thing, and we weren't paying attention. But he started uh, with this illustration that was really captivating, intriguing. And so I started paying attention. I was drawn in. And I didn't know this, but Gerald and Earl were were as well. And I I heard the gospel. I I must have heard it a million times up to this point, but it never clicked. But that night, as this guy's sharing that he has this flannel graph and there was this mean guy and he said everybody has this mean guy inside you and it's it's the old man it's a wicked sort of guy and I, I knew as a little kid yeah yeah that's that's me I've got that inside me and then he said well you know if you get to the gates of heaven one day if this is all you've got going on how can God possibly let that in heaven and I thought well that's not a good thing and he said no you can have and he put this Mr. Clean looking guy up on his, on his flannel graph. And he said, you can have the new man inside you, which he explained was the Holy Spirit. And, uh, uh, explained how Christ died, uh, for my sins to wipe out my old man and give me the, the new man. And, and then he gave an, an altar call. You know, if you're interested in, in hearing more about this and committing your life to Christ, come forward. Well, I didn't go forward. Gerald didn't go forward. Earl didn't go forward. But that night, I went home, got on top of my bunk bed, and I said, oh, oh God, this is amazing stuff. I can't believe this. You died for me for my sin. I, all these things I'd heard my whole life were just fallen in place. I said, would you please forgive me? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And I was blown away. Well, probably a few weeks later, Gerald, myself, Earl, we're walking down the alley in Chicago, we're walking down this alley in our neighborhood, and Earl starts off with this tirade of, of vulgarities, you know, it's the kind of thing we, we did, we just swore up a storm, and so he started swearing up a storm, blah, 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 and then after his turn, now it's my turn, so I started swearing up a storm, blah, 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 get to, get to Gerald, but Gerald, just walking with his head down, he's quiet, I said, well, come on, Gerald, it's your turn. You know, blankety-blanky, does a blinking cat have your blinking tongue? Come on. And, and Gerald says, you know, the other night at Awana, 
I gave my life to Jesus, and I don't think he wants me talking like that. Well, for me. <laughs> but then Earl says, you know, the other night at Awana, I gave my life to Jesus too. And I blink and don't think he cares how I blink and talk. And so he just kept going on and on. Well, I'm there literally and figuratively between Gerald and Earl. And over the next few weeks, Gerald started memorizing verses in Awana. And he started listening when the guys had their Bible thing going on. And he actually was meeting with, with some of the leaders to pray and to fill out this little book thing, a Bible study thing they were doing. He was filling this out. And I watched where he was going. And I knew in my heart, yeah, that's right. That's kind of where I want to go. But... Earl's going to a whole different place. So I was kind of torn. What am I going to do? And so here, here's the question. That night, back when November 1969, when Gerald and Earl and myself all claimed that we trusted Christ, that we were saved, which of us were really saved? Now, before you answer, before you answer, answer. You don't want to say you're saved by good works, right? You don't want to go down that road. That's not, that's not the right thing. And you don't want to say, certainly Gerald was in and certainly Earl was out. Mark, we don't have a clue what happened with, with, with you. You know, what, what place does works, does fruit, does growth, does change have in our salvation, if any? What place does it have there? You know, the, the, James addresses this, and we're going we're to read this in just a second. But you need to know, this is probably the most controversial passage in all the New Testament. Uh, this text that James is going to bring out today, I believe, is central text in his book. Everything in front of this just points to this. Everything behind it that's going to go on in the next weeks points back to this. This is his thesis. And it has caused quite a stir in the church over over the years. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to to James chapter 2. And if you don't, just listen. I don't have this this part on the the screen, so just listen. Starting in verse 14, James writes, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, 
what do you do with this passage? Does it work for us just to forget and pretend that this is not in the Bible? Just skim over it? Or does the whole, all of Christendom fall right now with this text? I grew up, as I'm sure you did, and you're in a Protestant evangelical church. This is the cry of Protestantism that salvation is by grace through faith alone. And doesn't the Apostle Paul say this? For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? And not as a result of works. It's a gift from God. That's what he says. Well, well, James seems to contradict this, doesn't he? I mean, actually, if I'm not mistaken, he says that over and over and over again here. In verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brother? Just in case you weren't listening a second ago. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The inference is no, that faith can't save him. 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's a corpse faith. Apostle Paul, the apostle of justification by faith, right? Book of Romans, all over. James, are these guys in opposition to each other? Again, Paul says straight up, you're saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works. James says, no one is justified by faith alone, no, but by works. Are those contradictory? Looks like it to me. Let me mentioned no they're not contradictory so you can okay okay but prove it okay we'll get into that but but just rest that all of christendom is not crashing here these guys are saying the same sort of thing they're saying it in different ways but let's back up for just a minute kind of get context here um years before james wrote this james was you know he's the pastor very first pastor of the very first christian church church in jerusalem his church jerusalem has the very first conference very first council. It's called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about it in Acts 15. And so everybody's there. Apostle Paul's there. Peter's there. All the apostles are there. All the disciples. I mean, everybody's there. All the church leaders are there. And this is what they're dealing with. Okay, What they want to figure out is, is someone saved by faith alone or by faith plus works? That's the question they're dealing with. Acts 15 Uh, Verse 1, he says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5 of Acts 15. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, so they're believers, but they had been Pharisees, they were from that group, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The, the, the circumcision thing was a sign that you were a child of, of God. It was kind of a, a symbol for now you are under all of the law. And keep in mind, the law of Moses, there were some hard, goofy laws we would say today. There's a lot of good stuff, like you shouldn't kill people, you should be nice to people, you should do things, you should help people. Lots of good, good laws. And they're saying, you have to do some of these things. This is the debate. Do you, is you, are you saved just by grace through faith or 
works too. You got to do these things. And so they're, they're Acts 15, read it for yourself. They are checking out scripture. They're checking it out. And then the apostle Peter stands up and he says, listen, you guys, you know the answer to this question. For years, we have not been able to live according to the law. We try to do it, but we always stumble and fall. And our fathers weren't able to do this and we're not able to do this. So let's not dump this on them. This is talking about the Gentiles. Then he says this in verse 11 of 15. Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's the we will be saved. That's the Jewish folk. Just as they will. That's the Gentile folk. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. We are saved by grace. Grace is something you don't earn. There's no works involved with grace. Grace is a gift from God. Peter says straight up, we all know we're saved by grace. It's not a result of works. If you follow this in in Acts 15, James is going to stand up and say, that's right. And at the end of the day, there is a document that James signs and Paul signs. It says we're saved by grace through faith. And so you got to ask yourself, If that's true, if they hold to that, then where is James coming from in this text? It sounds like he's singing a different tune here. Well, you need to know there's really no differentiation between these guys at all. Uh, Theology. But there are some differences in their style that just helps us understand and interpret the text. Apostle Paul, one one of the differences is a difference of perspective. Paul is writing from the perspective of God. He's writing from the perspective of God. God is in the house. God is in the living room. God set the fire in the fireplace. God knows there's a fire in the fireplace. And so God can say that that you are saved by grace through faith. That's it. James is writing from a perspective of man. He's outside. He's not just in in the house, not in the living room. He's not even in the house. He's outside. And the only way he knows there's fire in the fireplace is if there's smoke coming out of the chimney. So he's saying, there's no smoke coming out of the chimney. There's probably no fire in the fireplace either. This is a perspective issue. There's a definitions issue. They both use the word justified. Good word. Paul, when he uses this word, he uses it with a very uh, pure uh, theological definition. That justified is for God to declare one righteous while we're in the state of sin. Example, uh, thief on the cross comes to Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. He's not on the cross because he's been a good guy. He's done some really, really bad things. And on the cross, he says, Jesus, I want you to remember when you come into your, your kingdom. Jesus does not say, wow, you haven't done enough good things. What's he say? He doesn't say, well, you're going to have to spend several thousand years in purgatory and kind of burn those off. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He hasn't done any good things. It's an issue of, of he was declared righteous. Just by his faith, he knew Jesus. He declared righteous. Paul uses that terminology. Uh, now, when James uses the word justified, he uses it appropriately, he, but he uses a second definition. Lots of words, different definitions. And this is the word, the definition of to prove. Uh, you might be on a team, and the coach might say to the team, or to you individually as a team, he might say, justify your existence on this team. And what's he saying? Prove that you deserve to be here. Prove that you are a part of the team. As a parent, you may say this to a child, or an employer may say this to an employee, justify your actions. 
And what you mean by that is come up with a case, prove to me that what you did is congruent with who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. And so when James says the word justify, he's meaning proof, demonstrate. Let me see some smoke coming out the chimney. Because I'm thinking, James says, if I don't see any smoke coming out of the chimney, there's probably not any fire in the fireplace. So a third difference these guys have are audiences. When, when Paul is addressing, he's addressing folk who for years have lived underneath a thought of um, salvation is by works. And so he's really clear to say, no, we're saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, again, from the perspective of God, you are, you are clarified, you are declared righteous by God, by grace through faith alone, that, that's it. But when James, his audience, now he's got Jewish believers who, they, they were Jewish, but they became Christians. They are folk who lived under that, that burden of works salvation. And now they found out, oh, no works. And so they pushed it. They said, as a matter of fact, you never have to do anything. And your life is free. And you can live however you want. And nothing matters. You've said the prayer you are in. Don't worry about it. And to that group, James is saying, whoa, 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 you're abusing this. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is not the way it works. If, if, if I am going to speak on holiness, I'm going to talk to our seniors, FAC seniors on holiness. Uh, I probably am not going to use a big, long illustration on uh, why we should avoid heroin. You know, it's just, it's just a bad, I mean, our seniors may live on the wild side, but you know, I probably, probably that's not a temptation right there. If I'm going to speak to the juvenile correction center and I'm going in and I'm going to talk about holiness, you know what? That's very appropriate for me. Your audience does drive what you say. And so Paul's audience is driving, so, so was James on that, on that same, on that same level. Um, Philip Melanchthon was, uh, a disciple of Martin Luther. And Melanchthon said it this way. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. One could say it this way. It costs you nothing to be saved. It costs you everything to live accordingly. Same, same sort of, same sort of deal. So what happens is in James, is James now says, okay, I'm gonna, we just need to drive this down really deep. Because as Protestants, evangelicals, I think this can be a Christian cult kind of thing. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Period. I just think we need the second line. We are saved by grace through faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. If we cut that part out, uh, we do much disservice to the Word of God, to James, to Paul. Paul, Second Corinthians, or Ephesians two eight nine verse ten. Don't forget that's the one right after that. What's he say? Two eight nine. He says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing; it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for the purpose of good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, you come to know Christ, God has charted you out a new path, and this new path is a path of works. You're saved so that you can work. He's saying the same thing that James is saying with this. And so now James is going to get into some some, uh, examples to kind of prove this point. You're saved by grace through faith alone, but not faith that remains alone. And so in verse 14... He's is an example from, from practical life. You gotta know, James is very practical. He does not have a lot of room for theory. This is, you want, you don't want to discuss theory, uh, or non-working theology with James. He is not going there. But verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We see the same sort of, of, of illustration in Matthew 25. Now, I don't have this on the screen, but just, just listen to this. What a cool text, because Jesus is talking about the end judgment, right? And he says this. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd se- separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats he'll put on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer. Now notice, they're righteous, not because of what they've done, but they're righteous, and because they're righteous, they've done. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in naked and you didn't clothe me sick and in prison and you didn't visit me then they also will answer saying Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you then he will answer them truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me and he's, he's not saying you're saved by works. It's not consistent with anything else that he, he said. But he is saying, if you truly, if you are righteous, you know what's going to happen? There will be, if there is fire in the fireplace, there will be smoke coming out the chimney. It will be there. Don't, don't think, don't think otherwise with this. Can you imagine in your understanding of who God is? If God watches us chained by hell, walking to hell, to hell for eternity there no way out he just kind of watches us go but he's got in his hand the solution but he just watches us go and he thinks maybe up no i don't i don't think so he's kind of why why but then he was to say oh by the way i love you you know i most of us 
would either, at the very best would be very confused. Uh, but most of us would probably say, well, I guess we have a different understanding of love. Because if you really love, if you can, you can help, you, you will. As scripture says this, Romans 5, 8. But God shows or God justifies his love for us. He proves his love for us. How? I didn't just say it. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you love, you will give. If you love, there will be effect. There will be fruit. There will be smoke coming out of the chimney if there is love in the fireplace. There just will be. You can't separate the two. To separate faith and works is like separating heat from fire. You just can't do it. And in our, our relationship with, with God, you, if you would think a, a man comes to his wife and says, Oh, honey, I want you to know I love you so much. I just love you so much. And then he's out with all kinds of other women. And he's not remorseful. He's not repentant. But he'll still look her in the eye and say, I just love you so much. And then just keep going. And when he does come home, he comes home drunk. And he comes home violent. And he gives her zero protection and zero security and zero stability. We might argue whether this man is wicked and evil or if he's just so broken and so dysfunctional, he just can't love. He doesn't know how to love. But we would all agree that he's not loving. He, he, he might think that he is, but he's not loving because you live out always what you really believe. You live out who, who you are. If there's fire in the fireplace, it's all James is saying. If there's fire in the fireplace, there will be smoke coming out of the chimney. There just will be. You cannot love and not have there be actions. You just, you just, you just can't. You can't go down that road. He comes up with a second example. And that's in um, verse 18. It's an example of logic, right? He had the example of uh, the practical example, not an example of logic. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, I can separate the two, faith and works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Key word there is show. Can you show faith? Faith is an abstract concept. How can you see that? The only way you can see faith is by actions. You don't see the wind. The only thing you see is what the wind does, right? The, the trees bend and stuff's flying to. When we see that, then we're saying, whoa, it's windy. But when the trees are perfectly still, we don't see anything. But we say there's no wind today. That's all James is saying. When there's no smoke, he's saying there's no fire in the fireplace. He's saying on a lot, just think logically, it, it makes, it makes sense. God again is the author of, of, of logic, common sense. It didn't come from hell. He goes on to say, to say this. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Good for you. That's wonderful. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You, you believe God. This is fascinating. One of the key central tenets to Judaism is monotheism. Uh, uh, all the other pagan religions, to our, to our knowledge, every other religion was polytheistic. They had lots of gods. Lot, they might have had a main god, but lots and lots of other gods. Judaism rolls around. In, in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And this was, this was there. There's one God. We have one God. He's the only God. We have one God. He's the right, only God. And he's saying, you, you hold to that. You've got the right doctrinal statement. That's great. Not a lot of other people have that. I'm glad you have that. You know, the devils also have that. The demons, if I'm not mistaken, were in the throne room of God at one point. They saw his glory. The, the demons knew Jesus before he, before he was sent to this earth. They certainly know that, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus died for sins, that Jesus rose from the dead. All oh, the demons know this very, very, very well. It scares them to death. They know this very, very well. And what James is saying, you say you believe the right things. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But where's the smoke? You say there's a fire. Well, that's wonderful. But where's the smoke? Because you always live it out. A um, uh, bunch of guys in the fall hang out at Buffalo Wild Wings Sunday afternoons. They're football wannabe junkie people, right? And they watch all the games, and they got all the stats, and they know the refs, and they know the laws and the rules, and they got it all figured out. One day, the Steelers walk into that Buffalo Wild Rings for whatever reason. All the Steelers walk in there, and these guys challenge them and say, you know what? We know football a whole lot better than you do. Yeah, we know you know your position and all, but we know all the stats, all these teams, all the rules, no doubt better than you do. We know it much better than you do. And the Steeler guys say, well, hmm, okay, maybe you do. I'll tell you what. Let's play a game. And we'll, we'll challenge you to a game of football, and at the end of the game, we'll see who really knows the game. And what James is saying is just because you know, just because you've studied, just because you may understand some things, doesn't mean you're on the team. And so, so he's, you notice he's not commanding anybody here. Therefore, start working. Start working. He doesn't say that. He doesn't want works to be developed like, oh, I'm scared. I better hurry up and do some stuff. No, 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 no. He's just saying, I hope you didn't buy into a twist on the gospel that says I've signed the card. I'm in. I can live however I want. He's saying, there's no smoke. You know what? There's probably no real fire in the fireplace. He appeals to to uh, logic as well. Then he's, well, let me give you this. fascinating because Martin Luther, believe it or not, challenged this book based on this text as far as its canonicity whether or not it should even be in the Bible but this is what Luther says about works he says faith is a living creative active and powerful thing faith cannot help doing good works constantly it doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done but before anyone asks it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever James gives us another example this is a theological one you got to know something about James. Same guys that raised Jesus, that discipled Jesus, raised James, right? Mary, Joseph, same same things. So James knows his, his word very well, and he comes at at this with a theological example. He says, "Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless?" Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
He's pointing to this passage, right, in Genesis 22. We, if you grow up in church, you know this passage very well, where God had told Abraham, Abraham that he's going to have a, a son, and through the son, you know, there's going to be a great big nation and lots of people of faith. Um, so he's got one boy. boy is 14 years old, Isaac, that the promise is supposed to come through. And God says to him, Abraham, Abraham's over 100 years old at this point. Uh, he says, I want you to take the son of promise and go kill him. Go up Mount Moriah and kill him. Uh, according to the text, Abraham doesn't waste a lot of time. Goes, puts Isaac out on the wood, takes a knife and raises it. And he's going to kill him. And you're wondering, what's he thinking? Is he thinking, you know, he's going to not do this? No, according to Hebrews, he was thinking he would really kill him. So he's getting ready to. But then God stops him. In, in, in Genesis 22, it says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear me, that you love me. Now I know that there's a fire in the fireplace. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from, from me. Faith needs to be seen. Faith, and that's all James is saying. Abraham was a man of faith. He had the faith. But faith that isn't seen is hardly faith because you can say all kinds of things and not really believe them, not really do them at all. Don't You don't want to miss this text either where it says that Abraham was called a friend of God. That's, that's like, I think, the key to this thing. Because James, it's why he doesn't tell us, okay, let's start getting the works thing rolling here. Because he doesn't want legalism with his people. He, he wants them to, to serve God out of a friendship with God. You know, when I was this little kid with the swear thing going on, Gerald, and I saw his life, I knew that's what I was supposed to be. That's what I wanted to do. And so I did not um, say in my mind, that's just, I was not a Bible scholar. I'm still, still not, but, but I definitely wasn't at that, that point. But I, I, I knew that I didn't want to do good things so God would be happy with me, or I didn't want to do bad things because he might yell at me. I didn't think that. I knew my sins were all forgiven. I, I knew that. But I wanted to please him. He was my, my father. I wanted to do what, what he wanted me to do. I wanted to grow closer to him. I wanted to know him. And James is saying, what works? What they're supposed to, to do here? He's not just saying Abraham did the works, but why he did the works. He was called a friend of God. He was chasing after relationship. If, in fact, you're trying to serve God the way, uh, you know, because you would shudder, because you're afraid, you're doing good things so you don't get in trouble. We, we're going after relationship, friendship with God, closeness, intimacy with him. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's what we're after. He gives another example, biblical example. And he gets as far away, if, under the tent of faith, he gets as far away from Abraham as he can. He swings the pendulum all the way to the other side. And he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab, you know the story of Rahab. She's in Jericho. 
Canaanite prostitute. Um, pagan cultures were not nice to, to, to women and girls. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Judaism was an incredibly liberating, protective, wonderful uh, religion for, for, for women and girls. But, but paganism... Little girls, from the time you're born, if you're a girl, everyone knows it's a commodity just to be used, abused. It was just there for, for the men to, however they wanted to. So by the time you get to Rahab, God only knows, right, what she has gone through, what she has experienced, the, the pain and the baggage. Uh, who knows what she has done to other people, what she has hurt. So she is as pagan as you can get. She's got as much baggage as you could possibly have. She's in Jericho in a place where they're all worshiping Baal. But she hears of the Hebrew God, and in her heart, fire's lit. She knows this is really all this other stuff is a sham. This is this is the real God. So she throws her lot in with him. She says, "I'm I'm following," and she proves she does that when the spies come, she protects them. She's not saved because she she's protecting the spies, but. Protecting the spies is proving that, that she, that's where her faith is. That's where her, her heart is with this. When, you, when you, we look at this, this text, taking it all into account, no, no commands to do good. I think two observations, applications, though. One is that just that understanding Biblical theology, who we are, what scripture says. We are saved by grace through faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone, right? We understand that we are saved by faith alone, but if there's really fire in the fireplace, there's going to be smoke. And so the issue is you may be saying, you know, there's no smoke. I haven't had any smoke. I've always believed that other thing. Um, perhaps today. Before God, you commit to Him accordingly, to follow Him. Not saved by works, but not saved without. But think a second observation, though, from this is that it's not about my strength of my faith, but about the strength of the one my faith is in. I love the fact that He uses. Abraham as an example. We think Abraham is this great, strong, superhero guy. No, 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 not quite. In Genesis 12, when God comes to Abraham and makes him all these big promises, you know, big nation, and I'm going to love you, and be care for you, and protect you in the land. End of the chapter, you know what's happening? Abraham is going off into Egypt. He's throwing Sarah, his wife, under the bus. He's lying about who she is. He puts her in a very precarious situation because he's afraid he doesn't trust God. Pharaoh has to yell at him. And you think, okay, that's straightened him out. He's, he's all ready now. Well, 13 years later after that, Sarah, his wife, says, you know what? Still no kid. We're having this big nation. I don't think so. Here's my, my uh, administrative assistant. Here's, here's my, my nurse. Here's my servant slave girl, Hagar. Abram, you go into Hagar. She'll have a baby. But since I own her, I'm going to claim the baby. and We'll be okay. That's where we're gonna, how we're going to do this. You would think that Abraham should say, no, 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 no. Time out, time out, Sarah. We're not going on that road. We're going to trust God. God said we believe him. We're going to trust him. But did he do that? No. 
It was just a decade later. God comes to Abram and says, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. And what does Abram do? He laughs. And Sarah laughs. It got hardly a sign of faith. Now, Abraham keeps stumbling, tripping, falling. I like Abraham. I can relate to this. By his end, he's taking Isaac up. His faith is growing. His faith is moving forward. It's, it's, it's getting where it, it needs to be. As we go through life, we stumble, we trip, we fall. We keep chasing after God. It's not an issue of, I got this incredible faith. It's an issue of the fact that my faith, even if it's mustard seed faith, is an incredible God. Let me give you this picture. First Kings 18, up on the Mount Carmel, 400 prophets of Baal. 400. They start praying early morning. They pray until late afternoon. They are dancing. They are praying. They're screaming. They're cutting themselves. Oh, Baal, please, would you answer us and send fire? Now, it's not that these folk don't have faith. These guys have incredible faith. They believe in Baal. They believe in his power to do this more than anything. Got strong faith. But they got faith in something that doesn't work. You go to Elijah. He prays maybe 15 seconds. No jumping up and down, no screaming, no, no theatrics in any way, shape, or form. Just simple. God, will you show yourself to all these guys? And all of a sudden, not because of Elijah's faith, but because Elijah's faith is in the right thing. Same God Almighty, my faith, your faith, as we go through this week. We're going to stumble, we're going to trip, we're going to fall. I want my faith. I want to be a man of strong faith. I do, I do, I do. I want to keep going that direction. I want to move that direction. But after it's all said and done, my strong faith is not going to hold me throughout this week, but my strong God will hold me throughout this week. Where you're at in your life, what you're facing, what you're dealing with, uh, please know if you're somebody, sometimes, you know, faith can be right on the edge. I just, I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know. Please know we need to pursue him. But it's an issue of the strength of the one our faith is in, not the strength of our faith. And what James is saying, you live your life that way, and you will have a faith that works. You'll have a, a spiritual maturity will be who you, you are. And not only you, will there be smoke coming out of the chimney, but the whole world will see that there is smoke coming out of the chimney, and they will know that there's a God in heaven.